Well, first I want to just say I am so proud of the Northam family, uh, how you guys have just hung in there these many, many months. Uh, I think of Hebrews 10, 25, not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together. And you have done an amazing job, just the best we can stay connected. And I just, I'm really proud of the Northland family. Well, a couple of months ago, I decided to uh, take a little break on a personal retreat. Uh, I do that from time to time. I went up to Jacksonville to this retreat center. And I thought, I better pack a couple of good books to read. So one of the books I took was one I read actually a couple of years ago. Uh, and I just wanted to read it again. It's, a, it's an allegory, kind of an easy, fast read. It's called The Story of With. Yes, The Story of With. It's about a, a, a young lady by the name of Mia. She's about oh, 29 years of age. She's a server in a restaurant. Uh, she just, you know, works really hard, barely makes ends meet. Uh, but her long-term dream was to, to be a chef. And so she's applying for this other job to um, kind of step up towards becoming a chef. So she applies for this job, uh, goes through the whole interview process, and at the very end they say, sorry, we've chosen somebody else. So she's very disappointed. She finds out from a friend that the job she did have she lost. And so she's really broken and disappointed. And, and the backstory to her story is this, that as a little girl, she was very close to her father. Uh, and together they would make beautiful, delicious meals in the kitchen. And it's something she remembered as a child of being so close to her dad, doing that with him. She has memories of him uh, getting in his uh, white pickup truck and, and, and heading into town, and just the conversations just felt close. But when she was six years old, her dad left and never came back. And so now it is 20-some-odd years, she's living pretty much like an orphan. Her mom is um, pretty disconnected. Whenever she would even try to cook a meal, mom would just kind of put her down for it. And so she felt pretty much like an orphan. And so she kind of resigned that, you know what? I'm on my own. Uh, I've got to just pull myself up by my bootstraps. And so after this disillusioning news of losing her potential job and the job she had, she just heads out on the highway for a drive. Going down the interstate, there's an accident, traffic stops. She has to get off on this side road. She takes off on this side road, and she runs out of gas. She is not having a good day. So she gets out of her car, and she begins to walk. Well, this launches her into this kind of mystical allegory journey of hers that takes her through these various experiences of her life where she through that journey, gains a sense of identity of who she is. She realizes that the broken pieces in her life um, come together to make something actually quite beautiful. But the most important thing in this allegory and in her story is she recognized towards the end of this mystical journey that she was not alone, that God was with her, and it was a game changer. For someone who was just self-sufficient, 
I'm alone, I gotta make it happen, to learning to trust and believe that she is not alone, that someone was with her. Well, that kind of brings us to our story in John chapter 15, or John chapter 14. The disciples, they're with Jesus. They had spent three years with Jesus. They grew to love Jesus. Can you imagine uh, many nights at the campfire, you know, just listening to Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven, uh, the times that they were able to be with him to witness all the miracles. And now here they are in this upper room, a very intimate moment together. In fact, it says in the 13th chapter that Jesus at that moment showed them the full extent of his love. Can you imagine what that was like? And as you know, that's where he washed their feet. But then he drops this bomb like, uh, listen, I'm, I'm going to be leaving you. And where I'm going, you cannot come. You imagine the impact that that had on those men who grew to, close to him and who loved him. Can you imagine the anxiety that they were experiencing? Well, what are we going to do now? Uh, what's our future going to look like with you gone? Can you imagine the feeling they had of being alone? What are we going to do when we have questions and concerns? Can you imagine how afraid they might have felt as they saw what was beginning to happen, that things were really going down and that Jesus was in trouble? Would they be in trouble? So you can imagine the anxiety, the sense of feeling alone, and the sense of being afraid. You know, for the last six months, I think many of us have been experiencing a lot of those similar feelings, don't you think? Anxiety, yeah. John Hopkins survey says that since this COVID breakout, anxiety has tripled. Uh, the feeling of being alone, my goodness, we've been in lockdown, social isolation. Uh, I feel for the students who just long to be with their friends but have to stay home. Go out, you have to wear a mask. And talk about being afraid. Oh my goodness. Afraid of catching COVID. Uh, afraid of what financially could happen to us personally. And so these are some of the things that, that we wrestle with even right now. And so Jesus speaks into this moment for the disciples. And what he speaks into, he speaks into our lives. Words of comfort, words of assurance that we aren't alone, that he indeed is with us. So there are promises here. I'm going to start with promise number one. Jesus promises that he is going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell. I'm reading in John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is calling on the Father to send the Spirit. The word here, counselor or comforter, 
is the word paraclete, means one that is called alongside to help. In fact, the word another is, can be translated one of two ways, another of a different kind or another of the same kind. And the word used here is another comforter of the same kind. It's almost as saying, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be with you. Me and the Spirit are one in all this, and, and I'll be with you, but the Spirit of God is going to indwell you forever, forever. I think of Hebrews 13. It says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So how does the Holy Spirit, by the way, um, needs to be said, is a person. Third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. You know, uh, Francis Chan wrote a book not too long ago called The Forgotten God. And sometimes we forget. We think the Spirit is some kind of force. No, it's a person. It's God himself. But he will be with us forever. So what does he help us with? Well, he's called here the Spirit of Truth. Gosh, we live in a day when there are so many mixed messages, really. Like, who do you trust anymore? Who's got the truth? Well, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He guides us into the truth. In fact, later in this text, he tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to remind you about everything I told you. Uh, and, and he's going to bring it to your mind, the truth that I taught you when I was with you. No wonder the gospel accounts are, are so accurate because the Holy Spirit brought to their mind exactly what Jesus was saying to them. So he comes as the spirit of truth. The spirit also teaches us about the deeper things of who God is. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And so the spirit of God teaches us. Uh, he opens up to us an understanding of who God is in his goodness. We sing the song, uh, you're a good, good father. And this father, the spirit of God brings to our attention the goodness of God in our lives. He's also our security in Ephesians. It says that he is the guarantee. He's actually the seal or a guarantee, like a down payment that we will inherit everything that is in Christ Jesus. He also is there when we need him, when we can't pray. And maybe that's been your experience lately. With all the stress, uh, with all the anxiety and the fears, sometimes it's hard to, to even pray or even read your Bible. But guess what? We're not alone and we have help. Romans chapter 8 says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us 
with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. So if you're feeling pretty helpless and you don't know how to pray, rest assured that the Spirit of God is actually praying for you. He knows just what you need. He brings it before the Father and intercedes on your behalf. Well, another promise that we find in this text is that we have been included, we have been invited into a relationship which we call the Holy Trinity. Let me read for you, starting in verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. In this passage, we get a glimpse once again, of the fact that God is one God, but exists in three persons. This is throughout Scripture. We have an indication of that in the very beginning in Genesis, when God created the universe. And then he created man. He said, let us, let us make man in our image. At the baptism of Jesus, if you'll recall, when Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist, a dove descends from heaven And a voice from heaven calls out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So you have a picture of this triune God. And in this passage, we can see the same thing. We see Jesus talking to the Father to send the Spirit. He says, I am in my Father. My Father is in me, and I am in you. And you see this incredible picture of a God that is all about relationship. God is a relationship. There's a Russian artist by the name of Andrei Rublev in the 15th century. He provides an artistic expression of the Holy Trinity. Um, Back in those days, uh, in Russian Orthodox, they created these images called icons. And they weren't something people worship, but they were images that helped people get a glimpse and understanding of who God is. In fact, uh, this is actually in a uh, museum in, in Moscow. And there is one artist that actually visited that museum and stared at this painting and became a follower of Jesus just by looking at the painting. And he said, and I quote, if that's the nature of God, then I am a believer. When you look at this painting, there are a couple of things to notice. Do you notice how these persons in this image are looking at each other? Some say that the one on the left is the father, the one in the middle is the son, and the one on the right is the spirit. Depends on how you want to interpret it. 
But as you look at their faces and looking at their eyes, you can get a sense that in this image, there is intimacy, there is interdependence, there is connection, there is harmony, there is closeness, there is love. We were created out of this. God created us in his image, out of this beautiful, harmonious, God relationship we were created. Of course, we fell out of that relationship, did we not? (laughs) At the fall, we became distant. But because the Holy Trinity loves us, the Father who loves us sent the Son to sacrifice us, and the Holy Spirit regenerates us and brings us back, invites us back into this relationship so that we can feel, as this text says, He can make his home with us. A couple of years ago, there was a book written. It was pretty controversial. The uh, theologians were having a bit of a tizzy. Um, uh, The the name of the book was The Shack. Some of you have read it, I'm sure. Maybe you saw the movie. And it, it depicts this man who went through some incredible, terrible pain, loss of his daughter to a murderer, and he goes to this shack. He's invited to this shack. And there are three persons at this shack that he watches. And it seems like, my goodness, they're having a good time. They're playful. They laugh. They're, they're so connected. And he's just like blown away by what he sees. And while you might argue, you know, wow, how, how can that be scriptural? But why is it? that that book, who was written by a guy who was very unknown, I wrote it for his kids, and then it took off and sold millions of copies. My guess is this. My guess is there's something about what he wrote and described is what every longing in every heart wants. They want to know that there's a God that is connected, that is love, that is harmonious. And I believe that was actually why it sold so many copies. Here's what Paul Young would say. In fact, Paul Young was here at Northland once upon a time. But here's what Paul would say. The rumor in the deep places of our souls is that there is a party going on and we can scarce trust our invitation. Could there ever be a toast raised to us? Might a hand reach out and lead us into the divine dance? whispering in our ears that we were always made for this. And so we wait for the kiss, the breath, in and out that awakens the sleeping heart to life. We were made for this, utterly fond in reckless affection. As you notice, as you look once again at that picture, there's room at the table. There's as though there's an invitation from the Trinity to say, come, be part of this, belong, Uh, be connected. You are not alone. There's one more thing that Jesus mentions here, helping to address particularly our fears. And that is that Jesus provides and gives an inner peace that passes understanding. I'm reading in verse 25, all this I have spoken to you while with you, but the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, 
whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you everything that I have said to you. And then he says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The kind of Jesus peace that he offers is not um, freedom from any hassles or pain in life. In fact, Jesus is about to head into the greatest thunderstorm that any human being has ever faced. He's just been betrayed. In a short time, he will be heading to Gethsemane. Well, he will be in so much agony that he will sweat drops of blood. He will then be arrested. He will then be tried illegally in the middle of the night. He will be beaten. He will be bullied. And he will be belittled as he hung on the cross as others mocked him. And Jesus is saying, my peace I give unto you. How do you have peace in the midst of all of that? Well, Jesus has that peace. And I would say that the kind of peace that Jesus is offering is a peace that has nothing to do with the absence of pain and suffering. But it's an internal confidence that looks to the eternal purposes of God and the goodness of God. It's a peace, it's the kind of peace that you may have seen before in others or maybe in yourself. I know I've seen people in the hospital being wheeled into surgery who are looking to Jesus and there's a calm, there's a peace. How does that happen? Or I've known of people going through some terrible relational conflict maybe sitting in a divorce court, waiting for a final divorce decree, and the husband or the wife, in the midst of all that pain and suffering, has an internal confidence that God is with them. We have a, one of our counselors uh, is really going through some really serious health issues right now. Our heart goes out to her. And as she you know, expresses her, her frustration and her pain, She'll always do this. She says, but God's got this. But God's got this. That can be no other explanation but the peace that, that Jesus gives. Many of you will remember the story of Horatio Spafford, the great hymn writer. Uh, he went through some pretty difficult times. He lost a son at age four. Shortly after that, the Chicago fires hit, and his business was completely wiped out, and he was in financial ruins. He then sends his wife and his four daughters overseas to Europe, and the ship sinks. All four of his daughters are killed. They're drowned in the, in the, in the, in the waters. Only his wife lived. And then he writes this song, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever the cost thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Folks, that peace can only come from Jesus himself, and he promises us that. Isaiah said that um, I will keep you in perfect peace, if your mind is stayed on me. 
So I'd like to, to close our time with, with a couple of calls, a couple of challenges. The first call is the call to salvation itself. Some of you through this period of COVID in the last six months, something's been stirring inside of you. And I would dare say that in the next chapter, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Part of what the Holy Spirit does is he stirs us up. He, he creates within us a hunger for what we do not have. I remember that at 19 years of age. I was a long-haired, hippie kid running all over the country. Quite frankly, doing whatever I wanted to, but there was a hole in my soul. There was a restlessness, there was an emptiness that just would not go away. Now looking back many years, I know what that was. That was the Holy Spirit inviting me to come because the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus who is the, the way, the truth, and the life. Some of you right now, my guess is that that Holy Spirit is knocking on your door. He is creating a, a restlessness and, uh, and an invitation to come to him. My, my suggestion was to listen to it, to respond to it by believing in Jesus Christ. Ninety times in this gospel... We are guaranteed eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ. Pastor Matt would have the chair up here, right? What is believing in Jesus Christ? It means giving it up. You're not going to try to work your way into anything, but you're trusting in the perfect, complete work of Jesus Christ. And you will have eternal life. And not only that, you will have the Holy Spirit come and live within you. So I urge you, if... If that restlessness, if that is stirring within you, that you would respond in faith to Jesus Christ. And if you need help with that, please contact us. We'd love to talk to you about that, have a conversation. The second call that I see here is the call to obedience, love and obedience. Jesus says it numerous times. If you love me, you obey me. You obey my commands. You know, to, to know him, really know him, is to love him. And to love him is to obey him. And to obey him is to really know him better. So we say, well, how do we, okay, obey his commands. What, what's that all about? Is that a list of rules that we follow that we got to, well, not so much, not so much. In fact, Jesus kind of boiled it down pretty good in the 13th chapter of this same gospel. He said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Hmm, love one another. Well, that's challenging. Pastor Steve Brown was here just a couple of weeks ago, and as he often reminds us, how are we gonna, how are we gonna really love one another? And the answer to, as he would answer it, is first of all, we gotta open ourselves up to the love of God. To realize that we have been so deeply loved is a mess that we are. God loves us. There's no. Uh, it stands to reason why Paul would pray that the eyes of our heart would be open to the height and depth and the length and breadth of the love of Christ. Because when we can embrace that, we can open our hearts to the love of God, out of that 
flows a love for one another. Man, I want to grow in that. I'm sure you do too. The third challenge is this. We are called to be a witness. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come to you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the utter parts of the earth. We are called to tell other people about this Jesus who promises to be with us, who promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Well, the Holy Spirit did come in the day of Pentecost, and Peter and John just took off running. In fact, they were preaching, and Peter was preaching, there is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. In fact, those that were listening to him noticed. They noticed something. Not just what he said about Jesus, but it says in Acts 4, verse 13, they noticed that they had been with Jesus. North and family, what would it be look like? What would it look like if the world looked at us and they noticed they had been with Jesus? What a game changer. What a change it would be in our lives to recognize that he is with us. He would never leave us or forsake us. And then to be able to tell others about that good news. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your great promises that you don't leave us as orphans. You don't leave us on our, on our own in our anxious and alone and afraid moments, you promise to be with us. You promise to give us peace in the most difficult of circumstances. And I pray, Father, you know every heart. You know everything everybody's going through right now. And I pray that they would know that peace in the midst of whatever storm they are in. And Father, I pray that you would just ignite our hearts for what it is to make a disciple what it is to, to build relationships and invite others into this incredible relationship with the God of the universe, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.